All right, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We, we ask you for faith to believe and to receive and appropriate and embrace all that you have accomplished for us on the cross, all that is ours in Christ Jesus, the hope that we hold to this morning our union with Jesus. And Father, through that indescribable gift of being joined to Jesus, we pray that you would enable us to put off things like anger. Father, I pray that today would be a defining moment in hearts uh, that will worship here today. Father, that today might be the day where the sin of anger was conquered. Where we become a new people. Father, would you do that today? Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On Easter Sunday, we start out in chapter 3, looking at the first four verses that challenged us to set our minds on things above. Okay, you remember that? So, uh, talked about all the, the, that Christ has accomplished, his, his death, burial, resurrection, his exaltation into the heavens, and that we are joined to him. Okay, we're joined to him. So, we're, we're challenged to lift your eyes up, see his all-sufficient character. He's everything I need. He reigns. Uh, he, he has given me his spirit, all the gifts and great things in Christ. Okay, so we're, we're, we're challenged to lift our eyes up. And you remember that that's a very practical thing in that that is the most effective way to defeat sin and temptation in your life. Because essentially what you're doing when, you're, when you set your mind on things above is you're seeing that, hey, there's something better than whatever I'm being tempted with, right? Whatever sin I'm being offered, whatever temptation, whatever desire that I'm, I am being offered to to satisfy that is sin, what Jesus gives me, who he is, is always better. It's always better. Remember the illustration of the Oreo. How do you not eat an Oreo? Well, you always get a better dessert, right? If you always have a better dessert available, you'll never want Oreos again. Well, you always have something better in Christ, all right? So that's where we started out. That's kind of the, the foundation of chapter 3 in this kind of battle against sin. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at what, what I would call the first list, okay? So that was up in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God has come. So, or is coming. So, so we, we discussed sexual sin two weeks ago. And, and really kind of the, the, the link between that was, was sexual sin is all based in covetousness, okay, which, which Paul calls idolatry. All right, so, so how, how is that? Well, because when you want things that God has said you shouldn't want, when you have these desires that basically become God. I mean, that, 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 that's what happens in sexual morality, for instance. You have a desire that just trumps everything else. 
it, it overrides God's word. It overrides what God has said. It overrides what God has given. And it, it becomes God. Therefore, covetousness is idolatry and all sexual sin is rooted in this wrong desires. Okay? Now today, Paul gives us another list of sins to put off or put away, be done with, kill, however, however it's described, described in all those ways in the scriptures, okay? And they all revolve around anger. And really, this list is not all that different from the list of sexual sins, because once again, desiring, loving, wanting what we should not want to the point that it takes the place of God is really at the heart of the matter. Let me say it this way. Why do people get angry? Now, you can answer that in a bunch of different ways, by the way. The scriptures answer that in several different ways. But, but why do people get angry? Let, let me give you one scriptural example. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you, you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Essentially, James says people, people want stuff they don't get, and so it makes them mad. You don't get what you want. You have, you have this desire. You have this, you want something and somebody's not cooperating or they're in the way or they're messing it up. And, and so you get angry. Jonathan Parnell, he writes for Desiring God a lot. I, I, I love this. He said this. He said, anger is our response to whatever endangers something we love. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. Anger is, is our response to whatever endangers something we love. So in other words, your, your anger is always kind of centered around what, whatever you, you, you love. You know, which again is why these are really all linked together by this whole idea of covetousness or what you desire, what you, that's why he starts out in verses one through four saying, lift your eyes, you know, set your eyes on things above. When you love Jesus, you know, a lot of this stuff gets settled, right? But, but think about that. So if our, our anger is linked to what we love, which is why you can have righteous anger. Right? Like if, if, you're, if you're at the airport and you, you're, you're getting your bags off the carousel and you, and you turn around and some guy has snatched your two-year-old and is running for the door, I would think you'd be angry, you know? Uh, righteously so. Uh, move to take great action to stop an abduction. I mean, right? Because something you love has been threatened. But unfortunately, think about this. Most of our anger is rooted in much lesser loves, right? Hey, can, can, is this fair? Most of the time we're angry because we love ourselves. True? We love our comfort. We love our ease. I mean, I mean, think about how much of anger revolves around your love for your own comfort. Right? Like, like why, why do you get angry in traffic? <laughs> because I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get to the restaurant you know, I just want to eat some food, and you're in my way, right? And so the higher you love your comfort, the more angry you're going to be, like all the time, right? Have some kids. See how that works out, right? I mean, they're, they're always just getting in the way of your comfort, right? That's why, that's why, that's why moms and dads blow it in anger. So... So if, if you love your comfort and you love your ease, how about this? Here's a whole other category. Why, why do you get angry when someone slights you? They, they ignore you. They snub you. They overlook you. They criticize you. They give you a little, 
a little zinger. Why, why, why do you get, why does that, why does that make you so mad? Because you love your glory. You love your ego. You love your pride, right? And the higher you love that, the more you love that, the more of an angry person you're going to be. So, so he's right. I mean, most of our anger is, is rooted in what we love. And, and a lot of times we're angry people because we love the wrong things. We, we, our love is way out of whack. You know, when, when a person is furious to the point of rage because someone verbally insulted them at work, but is barely bothered over the fact that 2,000 babies will be aborted, over 2,000 in, in America today. Do you, do you see how, like, like, it really helps to put that in perspective, like, what, what do I get angry about most? Well, that, that's probably what I love the most, right? And, and, and is that out of whack of what I should love the most? So once again, these sins that Paul calls us to put to death are directly related to what we love and desire. And again, and we'll come back to this over and over again, the way to kill them is by increasing our love and desire for the best thing, Jesus Christ. So you see how, how Colossians 3 starts out, set your mind on things above. What's he saying? Man, the more that you come to love Jesus, the more you come to see the glory of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus and, and, the, and the hope of Christ, and the more you, you love that, then, then the less that other stuff matters and the less angry you'll be. So, he gives us this list here. The, the list goes, interestingly enough, from kind of motive or heart and moves outward into actions, okay? So you've got, um, in verse 8, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So you, you move from anger, which is, is really the inward expression, right? Um, it's what's happening underneath. It's that slow boil that, that is beneath the skin, right? We're, we're to put that to death. Put it away. Put it off. I, th I think a lot of people would think it's okay to be angry. You just need to hold it in, you know? I think a lot of folks think, you know, as long as I don't let it out, you know? As long as I don't say what I want to say and chew them out like I want to chew them out, as long as I don't punch them like I want to punch them, then it's all right and I've not sinned. But Paul says over and over again, no, no, no. It's, you actually got to put away this inner reality of anger from your heart. You can't be an angry Christian. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? You, 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 can't, you can't be an angry Christian. Now, now, am I saying that you can't ever get angry or that if you have gotten angry, you're beyond God's salvation, you're banned from heaven? I'm not saying that. In fact, here, here's what I bet. I'm, I mean, no way for me to know this, but I bet everybody in this room has been sinfully angry this week. And I bet there's a pretty large percentage that have been so this morning. Probably. Maybe not, but I bet there's some. There's some fingers being pointed. I don't need to see that. <clears throat> but like we talked about two weeks, here's the thing. Okay, here, here we go. Here we go. Theology. You can't stay there. You can't stay. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about. Remember, we drew this circle last week. Do you guys remember that? Or two weeks ago. Uh, we drew the circle, and we were talking about sexual sin. We were saying, okay, does, does it mean that you know, believer never lusts. Well, no, what it, what it means is when a believer cross that line and they come into the circle of, of sexual sin, they won't stay there. They, they will not stay there. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the hope of Christ will, will, will bring repentance and faith and turning and, and they'll, they'll start 
less and less, right? That's a progression away, out of sin. The same is true of anger. Okay, this, the, the exact same true thing is true of anger. You, you will not stay in your anger and you will progressively become more and more like Jesus and in moving away from your anger. But you, you can't, that can't define your life as a believer, just like sexual sin can't define your life as a believer. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Same list as Paul gave us a couple verses earlier in Colossians. But then he goes on. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Look at this. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is clear. Like it, it's crystal. You, you can't live that way. Now let me, let me tell you what I hear all the time. But pastor, that's just the way I am. I, I agree. That's the way you were. Were, that's, that's a better verb tense there. If you're a believer anyway, that's the way you were, Okay. Anger along with sexual morality are defining marks of our old sinful flesh. Now, now here, here's what some people are going to argue. Are, are there people who struggle more deeply with habitual anger than others? Yes. Yes. Have you looked around? Have you met anybody? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Were they born that way? I, yeah, I think so. Did things that happened early on in their life maybe kind of tweak them that way even more? Yeah, probably. You know, the same could be said of sexual sin. Absolutely. We were born sinners, okay? But what, what, what is our theology? Colossians 3.3, 3, remember? For you have died. So were you born that way? Yes. But are you a Christian? If you answer yes, you died. Were you born that way? Yes, but you died. Right? Something fundamental happened when you were joined to Jesus. And so now you have a new identity and you are putting off the old and putting on the new. And you're progressively becoming like Jesus and less and less like the old Jew. So, you got to put off this inner reality of anger. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus talks about how guilty even the inward reality of anger is. So he says in verse 21, you've heard it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry, that, that's inside in the heart, with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he goes on, whoever insults, so now it's starting to come out, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. All right, so Jesus makes it clear all the way from the inner reality of anger all the way out to the outer expression of anger you got to deal with it. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, you got to deal. Here's the thing a believer will do. He'll deal with his anger quickly, quickly. He'll reconcile quickly. He'll come to repentance quickly. So he's honest about his anger. Now, what, what, about, what about this? Because I, I hear this a lot too. Well, not all anger is sinful, Pastor. You know that. I mean, Jesus, if there's one passage that an angry person knows, it's usually the one where Jesus throws over the, t the table in the temple. They're like, see, you know, that's all I did at Walmart. You know, they just, they couldn't get the deal right, so I threw over the deal. I was just being like Jesus, you know. I was at the tag office, so I, I, I threw all the files off. I was just being like Jesus, you know. Now, I don't know that you were, actually. So, 
let, let's talk about that a little bit. Is there such a thing as righteous anger? Yes. Um, God is angry. Jesus is angry. That, that's, we see that in the scriptures. But how do you know? What, if, if your test is, well, I feel justified in my anger, that is a horrible test because here's the reality. You always feel justified in your anger. In the moment of your anger, do you not always feel that you are completely right in it? Yeah. But let, let's ask some things about our anger. Are we slow to anger? Because God's righteous anger is always slow. It's, man, it's, God is incredibly steadfast in his patience. Like, he's, he's not, like, flying off the handle. Like, you, you look at your Old Testament and people will bring up, you know, how, well, you know, God sent in and destroyed the, you know, Philistines. And the Amalek. When you read about that, you see that God's anger tarried for like four or five centuries, you know. I mean, God is incredibly slow in his anger. Are, are, you, are you grieving over sin? So is the, is the heart of your anger your brokenness over sin that's happened? Or is it one of those other things, man, I... I want my comfort, I want my ease, I want things to go my way, and they didn't, so I'm ticked off. That's very different than being grieved over sin. Does your anger move you to help people out of sin? That'd be another great question. And then here's the kicker for me. Does my anger make me want to pray more? Engage with the Father more. That, that one's the most helpful for me. Because... Righteous anger will bring you to your knees. You'll want to be with the Father. You'll, you'll want to be pleading. But you know, you know what selfish anger does? If, if you're anything like me, man, I can't pray. Like it just, because I'm in sin. And so I, I think that's a really helpful, you know, if, if your anger is causing you to, you're struggling to come to God in prayer, you know, you're forcing yourself, but, I think that's a pretty good sign that you don't have righteous anger. You got, you got something else. So the inward, uh, inward reality of anger, okay, so put it away. And then he says these other things, wrath. Wrath is your outburst of anger. It's, it's when you blow up, okay. It's when you, you, you blow up, you yell, you do whatever you do when you're angry. Um, malice, malice is, is that desire to hurt somebody, that intent of, man, I, I, I'm I, I, I want to hurt you. That's really what malice is. Slander is when it comes out of your mouth and you tear people down. You use words that, that, that attack their character, their reputation. You diminish them in the eyes of other people. Okay, that's what slander is. Obscene talk or abusive speech. It's like filthy language. Abrasive speech intended to hurt others. It, it expresses your anger. Okay, verse 9 says, we must... Put them all away. So do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, I know I didn't, I didn't talk about lying. I had it in here actually first, but it's such a big section for, in order for me to talk about it. And especially talk about how it connects it. I didn't think I would have time, so I took it out. Um, but, but I do think it connects in there, especially with the, the reality of truth. But for now, I think we're just going to let that lie. So let's, let's move on, and, and, and we'll go to putting it off. Okay, so verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, let's talk about 
the fact that Paul gives you a list here of things you're supposed to put off. And by the way, here in, in a couple weeks, maybe next week, maybe, maybe two weeks, he's going to give us a list about things to put on. Okay, so that happens in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So what about these lists? So he, he, here's, here's the question I want to answer. Maybe you're not asking this, but I hope you are actually. In chapter 2 of Colossians, if you remember months back when we were going through chapter 2, we, 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 we talked about how you can't be righteous from a list. Remember that? Like when we talked about legalism. Legalism is a type of, it's not real Christianity, but it's kind of a fake Christianity in which you're like, okay, I'm going to be righteous with God by doing these things. And, and chapter 2 is all about Paul saying it doesn't work that way. You, you can't be righteous by a list. Right, so let me give you some verses in chapter 2 that, that we looked at. Verse 16, so he says, Don't pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Um, let one, let verse uh, 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. Um, down in verse 26, 20, I'm sorry, 20. If with, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it if you are still alive in the world? Do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish when they're used. And then the kicker is verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul makes this great case in chapter 2 that, listen, you can't be saved by legalism. So you can't be saved by, um, what, 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 we made up some stuff that day, didn't we? What did we talk about? Oh, all guys are going to have beards. I proved that to you, you know, by uh, Psalm. And all women are going to be modest by wearing moo-moos. Remember, we, we're going to make up our own kind of list of here's what it means to be righteous, right? And we made this great, great case that you can't be saved that way. You can't be righteous that way. It doesn't work. But now in chapter 3, Paul gives us lists, right? He's like, all right, you're, you're new, so put off. You know, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, anger, you know, malice, slander, obscene talk. Now he's going to tell us, put on these things. So what, what, what's the deal? Well, here, here's the deal. All right. Sam Storms did a better job than anybody I've ever read in describing this. And he did it with these two cool phrases. Okay. He said that legalism is to life. Christianity is from life. All right. Did you get that? Legalism is to life. Christianity is from it. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, the legalist says... You need to do this, 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 this in order to be righteous with God. Okay, Christianity says, put your faith in Jesus. You join to Jesus, and then boom, you are righteous, right? Why? Because of nothing you've done and everything Jesus did. Because you're joined to Jesus, right? And, and now because you're joined to Jesus... Your account is full of righteousness. You, 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 you're rich in Christ. You have all that Jesus accomplished for you. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have this great confidence in all that God is going to do for you. You have this great hope in the work and the mission of God in and through you. And now that drives you to be a certain kind of person. Do you, do you see the difference in that? Like the one is saying, all right, here's your three steps. Do one, two, three, and then you'll be righteous with God. Okay, Christianity says, no, it doesn't work that way. Put your faith in all that Jesus has done. See his glory. See his greatness. See his work on the cross. He's your only hope. Cling to him. And then, bam, once you do all these riches into your life, all this, 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 this fullness of salvation imputed to you, and now out of that fullness, out of, out of that life, now you can begin to change. Now you can begin to become like 
Jesus Christ. In other words, all that Christ has done is the engine of our salvation. Is that, is that, is that clear? Because I, I need that to be clear. Otherwise, you get this all wrong. You know, if you leave out of here and be like, all right, I'm a really angry person. And pastor said, I've got to start controlling this, you know, in order to be saved. All right, you, you're just going to fail. Like, you're just, you're just going to, what you're going to do is you're going to fail. You're going to feel guilty all the time. Or you're going to, like, justify your anger. You're going to work really hard to, feel, you know, find ways to, you know, justify that why you're always angry is it's always right. I mean, you're just going to lie to yourself. Okay, that, that, that's, that's no good. You need to be joined to Jesus, and then that's got to be the engine. Your union to Christ is the engine by which you begin to actually put these things off. Not for fake, but you really become less angry. You really begin to deal with your anger. You really begin to repent of your anger. So, Colossians 3, 9, 10 says, Seeing that, you have put off the old self and put on the new self. So, it's, it's already happened, right? You see that in verse 9? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Now, it's interesting, when we go to Ephesians 4, which is a parallel passage, um, where is it, verse 22, it says, put off your old self. And it's both those, okay? It's already happened, and now make it happen. It, it, it's, it's an identity thing, okay? What, what, what Paul's trying to show you here is that you, you are different. You've been joined to Jesus. You have a new identity. Now live that out. Are any of you in the witness protection program? Don't answer that, all right? It was just a test. If you are, you don't, don't tell people, right? But let's say you were, okay? Let's say you are, right? So, you know, you were a, uh, you worked in a fish market. Your name was uh, some Italian name, uh, I don't know, Frizzoli or whatever. And you, you, know, you saw the mob, uh, you know, put, you know, cement shoes on this guy, throw him in the river, you know. And, and so you, you got put it, you testified against him and then they moved you to, Oklahoma, Woodward, nobody ever looked for you here, right? And so, but they had to give you a new name, right? So now your name's Bob, you know, Bob Jones, or I, I don't know. Is there Bob Jones here? Uh, now your name's Bob Jones, and now you, you know, gave you a new occupation and a new history and a new, okay. So here's the deal. You, you have a new identity. Now your job is what? To put on that new identity, right? So when you introduce yourself, you don't introduce yourself as Mr. Frizzoli anymore, right? Now you're Mr. Jones, and you, 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 you embrace your new identity, right? Now, now, that's not a great example in the sense of, you know, the government actually gave you that. And so it's, you know, you could say, well, it's sort of fake. It's sort of, I'm, you know, here it's, it's not fake. Like you actually died with Jesus and you've been joined to his resurrection life. You're really different. Like the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're, you're new. Like, do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian yet. If you do believe that, then now live it. Now, now take those face steps to actually put off the old and put on the new. So, so you, you, don't, you do away with the old life. I, I like the way verse 9 phrases this. It says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You ever play that matching game? You ma okay, so match the old self with its practice. In other words, there, there, are, there are practices that go with the old self. They, they match, right? So the old self, the old you, you didn't treasure Jesus. Maybe you respected him. Maybe you went to Sunday school as a kid, but, but you didn't treasure him. You didn't trust him. You didn't seek him. You didn't see him as the most valuable thing. And so guess what? That kind of life matches up with being angry, with being sexually immoral. Why? Because your, your desires, they rule. In Ephesians 4, the parallel passage to this one, 
I, I like this. It says, this, this is, these two words have been one of the, two of the most helpful words in the Bible in my, my own just battle with sin. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You hear me talking about that phrase all the time here at Lincoln. Deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self. Your old self, it, it's, it's ruled by lying desires. Desires that lie to you. Desires that claim they're good for you and they're not. All right? But, but now he says, put on the new self. Well, the new self, it corresponds. It, has new, it matches up with new practices. In other words, the new self is joined to Jesus. The new self regards Christ as everything. He's the one that's going to satisfy me. I can trust him. I can look to him. He will help me. All right, well, that new self is going to produce new desires. So think of it this way. Lies, okay, deceitful desires, they're going to they're produce the wrong things in your life. They're going to fuel the wrong things in your life. Truth about God is going to fuel the right things in your life. Did you get that? Let, let's, let's do a silly illustration. Maybe that will help. If you become convinced that worms, eating worms make, make you better looking, Okay? Eating worms make you better looking. All right, if you, now that's a lie, by the way, I believe. That's a lie, okay? That's a lie. But if you, if you believe it, then what do you start doing? You start, start going to that gas station, honking holler, and buying worms, and, and you're YouTubing, you know, how do you cook them, you know? How, how do you cook worms? What, you know, what kind of oil do you use? Do you fry? Do you bake? Do you microwave? What do you, what do, you do, you know? How do you make them taste better? What sauces go best with worms, you know? And you, you start, because you, you believe the lie, and that is fueled desires and practices that are based on that lie. So in the same way, if you, if you deserve... If you believe the lie that you deserve to be catered to, that, that you deserve your way, that you're the most important thing, guess what that's going to fuel? Lots of anger, right? Bitterness, frustration, vengeance, when things don't go your way. But let's, let's replace the lie now with truth. Right, so so now we're now now we're new the new we've lifted our eyes to things above, and now we're now we're now we're putting on truth, the truth that Jesus cares about you, that Jesus' glory is paramount, that, that, that he's providentially working in all of your life, that his mission is the most important thing. And all of a sudden, what does that do? That fuels you not being so angry. So put it aside. Put it aside. Lay it aside. Be done with anger. Isn't, isn't that a great thought? I mean, Paul is just like, hey, Put your anger away. Put it away. We're reading this book on Wednesday in a group that I'm in. <laughs> Man, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna buy a bunch of them. We're gonna bring. I, I've thought about we got to do something fun with this book because it, it's really it's an easy read, but it's called Unoffendable. And and basically the premise of the book is is this: you you, you can just choose to not you like you're just unoffendable. Like nobody can offend you. You can choose that. You can be that. It's really sparked a lot of discussion because we got some fiery guys in there. And so it's, it's, it's really been fun to work through. But, but that's, what, that's what Paul is saying, man. Put aside your anger. Verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Okay, so the new self is being renewed, it's being made new in knowledge. But by the way, this is so consistent in the Bible. This is exactly the way sanctification happens. This is exactly the way becoming like Jesus happens because it's everywhere in the scriptures. Um, Romans, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, the, the making new of your mind. Um, Ephesians 4.23 uh, says the same thing. It says, put off the old self, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. So, so multiple times the Bible is telling you, put off the old self, put on the new self. How do you do that? By being renewed in the spirit of your mind. By, by being renewed in knowledge is what verse 10 says. Now, now what kind of knowledge? I, I believe it's the knowledge of God. Uh, I could show you that in a lot of different places. Colossians 1.10 is right close here. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every work, good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Paul's prayer in Ephesians uh, 1, he says, um, 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts open that you may know. Okay, so I, I believe it's, it's, the, it's the knowledge of God. Okay, the more we know, the more we believe about the person and character and work of God, the more we're transformed because the more we begin to trust him. The more you know about all that he is and all he's going to do, the more you begin to trust him. And the more you begin to see everything in life through, through what he's doing. So part of this knowledge is knowing and believing is, is knowing and believing God's care for us. So when I think about anger, okay, when I think about anger, what, what needs to be made new in my head so that I am not angry all the time? And, and I, I think the big thing is just God's care over us. So do you, do you guys remember about, gosh, it's been maybe six months, nine months, maybe a year ago, we were going through the Psalms, and we hit a, we hit a string of them that all dealt with anger. One of my favorites is Psalm 37. And, um, and it's all, don't be angry because of God of God's care over you, basically, okay? So the psalm starts out in verse one, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. They're gonna fade. Trust in the Lord. God's gonna take care of you. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. He will act. You see, you know what angry per people believe? God's not gonna act, so I have to. That's, that's what an angry person believes. God's not gonna do anything. God's not gonna do the right thing. God's not gonna do it quick enough so I got I to do it. Verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. I love verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way over the man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. What's at the heart of that? It's at the heart of you being convinced that God's going to take care of you. And whoever you're furious at, he's going to take care of them too. Whether in judgment, in hell, in redemption, in the cross, just leave it to him, man. Trust him. Trust him. Romans eight twenty eight. God's working all things together for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Can't, do we believe that? Do we believe that God's working everything in my life? Does that mean even the, the bad things that, want, that tend to make me angry? Yeah, those things too. Look, look at how Jesus does this. Here, here's the model. 1 Peter 2.23. He says, uh, 
when he was reviled. Okay, so when Jesus was reviled, that means when he was cursed, when he was slandered. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God's able to turn our trials into maturity. That's James 1, 2 through 4. He's able to turn our trials into something worth more than gold. That's 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. I wish we had time to look at all these. So, again, back to the beginning. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the glory of God. Set your mind on how dependable, how faithful, how awesome He is. That takes the fuel out of anger. Anger has the biggest hold on us do you remember, I don't know, it's been a couple years, I, I, I had my board up here, and I, I drew, like, how do you see God? You know, if, if God is really little, you know, he's just a little bitty guy, and, you know, and you're great, big, you know, man, you're always going to struggle with anger, right? Because someone just cuts you off on the freeway. Well, that wouldn't be a big deal, except you're a big deal, right? Like, you, like, look how huge you are, you know? How dare they, there's a great injustice. And then you got God over here, and he's saying, hey, I'll take care of it, I'll take it. But he's so little, you know? You can't hardly hear him. He's like a little bird. Okay, Colossians 1 says what? Set your mind on things above. When you set your mind on things above, what happens? You erase that picture because it's wrong, right? And now you're the little guy. And God's the big guy. And so when, when God says, hey, I'll take care of that, you're like, oh, he'll take care of it. Man, <laughs> all right. He's got it. Set your mind on things above. Am I setting my mind on Christ and all he's accomplished and all the mission of God in the world, or am I setting my mind on my minor discomfort that someone has caused me or my temporary loss I'm experiencing due to someone's incompetence or maliciousness? Look, 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 look at verse 10. We've we got to hurry here, but let's, let's do verse 10 yet. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, after the image of its So what, what are we being made into as we, as we do this? We're being made into the image of Jesus. And, and God is slow to anger and and think about this. No man ever had more of a right to be angry than Jesus. True? No man was ever more unjustly treated than Jesus Christ. It, doesn't, it, it really is inconsequential what you, you could say to anybody about what's happened to you. Because no matter how horrendous it is, you, you're, you're starting from here. Jesus is starting from the stratosphere, right? Like, like he is the creator and sustainer of all the universe, and he comes down, and people treat him like dirt for 33 years. No one ever had a right to be more angry than Jesus. All day long, every day, he had the right to be infuriated how he was treated, about how his property was treated, about how his family, his people were treated, about how his father was treated. No one ever had more of a reason to be angry than Jesus, and yet he wasn't. And we are taking on the character of Christ. Shouldn't we want that, by the way? Shouldn't we admire that? Shouldn't we long for that? Should, I mean, if he's the pinnacle of what it means to be a man, a woman, a godly, virtuous, noble, desirable person. I mean, isn't there something wrong if we're like, yeah, God is slow to anger. Oh, praise God for that. I'm not going to be, though, you know. Isn't, isn't there something wrong with that? 
To say, I admire Jesus for all he is, but I don't want to be like it. We shouldn't be that way. We're done. We're, we're out of time. Got to quit somewhere here. That book, Unoffendable, there's this, uh, there's this chapter, and it's, it's, um, it's called, uh, Aren't You Tired? Aren't You Tired? And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the book, The Help, or the, seen the book, read the book, that, I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie, The Help. And uh, there's this, kind of the main, the main kind of villain in the book is this, uh, this gal named Miss Tilly, isn't it? And, uh, and she's just vicious, you know? And she's racist, and she's, you know, malicious. And at one point in the book, uh, the maid, I can't remember her name, but she gives a speech about, um, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired, Miss Tilly? And that, in that book, Unoffendable, he, he builds a whole chapter on that. And, and I guess I would ask you the same thing. Man, do you know how much work it is to be angry? You know how much energy you have to expend to do that? All that energy that you're taking away from your spouse and your kids and your spiritual life. Man, aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of carrying that? Aren't you tired of living that way? Put it off, man. Put it off. Be done with it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by setting your mind on things above, by being renewed in what you think about Jesus, what you think about yourself, and what you think about the world, and put it off. Let's ask God for help. Lord, I, I just pray, Father, that again, that today might be one of those days in somebody's life here that it changes everything, that from this moment on, they're, they're a different person. God, I, I pray that you would bring true repentance this morning, that you would bring faith in you, in your care for us, in your, your ability to act, that, God, we don't have to carry this stuff anymore. We don't have to be angry because you, you're a just judge. God, you're the judge. We're, we're not the judge. God, we, we give up that job here this morning. God, we're done with that. And God, we trust you to handle it. And we pray, Father, that we might be free of anger that we might be free to pursue forgiveness and compassion and grace and bearing with others. and God, that we might not waste any more of our short life on being angry. Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your deliverance. We ask for your work of your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please?